with you. Bye-bye. I've got it. <clears throat> the opening? Yes. What is it? A map. The what? Directions. Where people should look to find me. Okay. Give me a moment. <clears throat> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Pretty powerful scene, huh? You know, um, one of the challenges I think we have when we approach Scripture and feeling maybe so far removed at times from when it was written that we forget uh, the depth of it, that, that it was written and, and spoken to people. And I love the way this is from the series, The Chosen. I love the way that they put these images, and many of those images were of the disciples that were following Jesus at that time. And it's pretty neat when you start to think about Jesus was most likely thinking about certain people when he was saying each one of these beatitudes had, had someone in mind. And, you know, the, the good news is it wasn't just the disciples then, but it's, it's you and my, myself as well, right? That the words that were written uh, so long ago still apply to us today. And so today we are going to be moving into a, a new series, and it's, it's, the title of the series is Upside Down. And we're going to be looking at these beatitudes uh, that, that Jesus shared here. And it's, it's within the context of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And as you know, we read through the, the Gospel of Matthew, and we see uh, that there's three chapters that were given to this, this Sermon on the Mount. Understanding the context and kind of what's going on here, as I say often, it's, it's very important as we approach the Scripture. And so to understand at this point, Jesus, he was sort of somewhat of a superstar, if you will. 
He'd been uh, in the area. He'd been going to a lot of places, to a lot of the towns around, performing miracles and, and praying with people and, and speaking. And he had, there were crowds beginning to follow Jesus at this point. It was kind of, they say, like kind of the pinnacle of maybe the, the popularity, if you will, of Jesus before things kind of started maybe turning south a bit. And so he, he's gathering, you know, uh, himself, his thoughts to, to be able to present to a crowd of people. This, this was a, a, a very specific moment and a very a pivotal moment in his ministry. Um, it was most likely, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, but this, this happened in what's called like the hill country. It was probably a very large hill. And so they, they call it the Mount, and, but for them in that region, that would have been uh, the case. But it was most likely a large hill. And the interesting part was it, was, it probably went on, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount was, was probably over a few days is what a, a lot of scholars believe. Um, I don't think any of our sermons have gone quite that long. Um, but still, that's, that shows you just how much is packed in these three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to see as we read through the Scripture, we will read the passage here shortly. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew. Um, but we're going to read that in a moment. But it it's, it's, speaks of disciples, and understand these aren't just the 12 disciples. These are all the disciples, all the people that were following Jesus at this time, um, not the, necessarily just the 12 apostles and so, uh, just to kind of have this in view as we approach this, and again, to understand that these Beatitudes uh, are, are, are in the context of this Sermon on the Mount. And we find the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And I'm going to give like a quick overview of this just as, as we prepare, and we're not going to do this every single week, but this is kind of laying some groundwork for this series that we're going to be in. So Matthew chapter, chapters 5 through 7, it, it really boils down to this phrase. It's, it's living a life that's pleasing to God. Pretty mind-blowing, right? I mean, super. It's, it's pretty simple, yet pretty challenging at the same time, isn't it? And understand, too, see, at this time, the people that were, you know, following Jesus, this was, this was new to them, this, 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 the way he was and the way he was connecting and personal and, and meeting the people where they were. Up to this point, uh, for most uh, people that were, you know, following God, if you will, they were, their example were, were the Pharisees. Now, if you've been around for a minute in the church, I think most of us understand the Pharisees didn't have the greatest reputation on the way they treated people, and many of which the way they treated Jesus at the end of it all when he was crucified. But these had become kind of the, 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 the goal, if you will, or th this was the top tier of what we should be like. And so now Jesus is coming in and bringing people back to kind of the heart of what it's all about, about this relationship with God. And, and what their lives should look like. So he is, he's painting this picture throughout this, this Sermon on the Mount, through this sermon. And this is kind of what it all entails. Beginning in Matthew chapter 5, he hits with the Beatitudes, which we just saw and we're going to dig into here in a moment. And he goes from there and talk to, to talk about salt and light. Because that's what we are supposed to be in this world. We're supposed to be as salt preserves meat. And, and we, we have a function and a role on this planet, on this, on this earth during our time, that we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light in the darkness. Um, he also talks about how he came to fulfill the law. He speaks on anger and murder, lust and adultery, divorce and remarriage, oaths, eye for an eye. And loving your enemies, all of that happens within chapter 5. And he goes on to chapter 6, and he talks about giving to the needy. He, talks, he teaches how to pray, how to fast. He speaks of treasures in heaven and, and not to worry. <laughs> and that finishes out chapter 6. And finally, Matthew wraps up in chapter 7 as, he, as Jesus shares about not judging about asking, seeking, and knocking, about the narrow gate that we have to pass through to follow Christ. He talks about false prophets, and he finishes with the wise builder. And at the very end of chapter 7, as, as this Sermon on the Mount wraps up, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And you think about that for a moment. The people recognized that their teachers of the law lacked authority. 
that there was something missing, that there was something that was falling short, and they're seeing it now happen as Jesus now steps onto the scene and what he's doing and what he's sharing and the things that he is putting in front of these people, they see that this, this man, Jesus, has the authority that, that only God has. And so when we look at this Sermon on the Mount, and you think about this, this is kind of, again, this is that moment, this is that, that place where Jesus is out there and, and he's prepared and, and thought about what he's going to share. And so let me just be bold if I can for a moment and say what he begins with is probably pretty important. <laughs> right? What he's going to start with. I mean, he could have started with anything. And these beatitudes, the things that he is about to share and that we're going to begin to look at over the next few weeks is what he chose to start with, what he chooses to begin with. And so we're going to look at these things, these beatitudes, and, 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 and really, I, I, my prayer for you is in, in these next weeks ahead as we're in this series, and let me just tell you, just as a hint too, is in any series, it would be really wonderful, open your Bibles when you're home during the week. Study, look at those scriptures, look at the passages, look at what we're studying together, and let, let the Spirit of God minister to you through His Word as we dive deep here into these Beatitudes. Um... How many here, if I can ask a question, how many of you have ever ridden a motorcycle? Okay, how many of you have driven the motorcycle? How many of you don't remember what it was you did on the motorcycle? <laughs> okay. Well, I, um, I never grew up with, I never had a motorcycle. We didn't really have the money to have some kind of um, little toys like that. You know, I, was, I would have loved one, but never did, and so, I had, um, it was after I joined the military, I had been deployed, and when you're deployed, you make a little extra money because basically they say your life is in danger, so they give you some extra dollars for that. But, um, so when you come back, everybody always comes back, and all the car dealerships, everybody's all excited because when the unit comes back, they know these guys are coming back, they haven't spent a ton of money all year long, and they need a place, something new, some shiny little thing to buy. Well, I was in that group, and so I got back, and a lot of guys were either, a lot of guys had motorcycles, and some, some of us were buying motorcycles, and there was probably like 20 or 30 of us, you know, um, that, that had them. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And I, um, I talked to Leanna, and she wasn't necessarily the most excited about it. But, you know, I said, hey, you know, I survived Iraq. Maybe I can survive a motorcycle. And I think she agreed. I don't remember exactly. I'm trying to get an eye contact, but... Um, and so anyway, so I started looking around. I got, you know, the, the pre-approved. I had, like, the check from the bank. I'm, just, I'm walking around with my friends, and we're looking at all these different places trying to find a motorcycle. And um, so I, I find one, and it's in, it's in great shape. And I go to the guy's house. Well, he's like, you know, do you want to you take it for a test drive? And I was like, so no, I, I don't, I don't want to do that because I can't ride. And so um, we work out the deal, and so then I do have my friend with me who does ride motorcycles. And um, so I bought the motorcycle, and then I had to have my friend actually drive it home for me. I didn't ride on the back with him, so don't, you know, uh, wasn't, no, not going to do that. But he, he drove home. It was kind of funny because we got to a traffic light, which is as we were going the expressway, and I was in our little SUV. And anyway, next thing you know, he's, like, gone on my motorcycle, like, <laughs> Um, so he gave her the beans and, you know, was gone and, and enjoying himself. So I appreciated that. But he got it home for me. And so then, then he had to basically literally show me how to do all this stuff, you know, how to ride a motorcycle. And so I practiced, you know, in my little neighborhood, like real slow. I was the guy going, you know, kind of almost dropping it and everything. But for those of you who've ridden motorcycles, the, the interesting thing, and this is what I have a point to all this, by the way. You guys are my therapy group today, so thank you. But... Um, the, the point is this, is when you're, when you're making a slow turn on a motorcycle, you take your handlebar and you just, you kind of turn like this. If you want to go left, you just turn left. The interesting thing about riding motorcycles is if you're on the highway or if you're at a higher speed, they actually have something what's called counter steering, right? So if you want to go left, like when you're at a high speed and, and you know, it's not like a hard left, you actually just barely touch your, your handlebars to the right a little bit, and that front tire turning like this makes the bike kind of lean left, and you actually start to go left. 
you learned something new at church today. Congratulations. Um, so this was something I, I learned, I understood it, but I was very new at it, okay? And so we were out one day, we decided to go to this barbecue restaurant. Again, it's down in Savannah in the south, so lots of great restaurants down there. And so we're riding, and it's, it's a two-lane road. It's, a, it's a kind of a main road, but on either side, though, is just marsh, right? There's just nothing. And so we're going, and, you know, a bunch of guys, motorcycles, and, you know, one kind of pushes a little further, and you, pretty soon you get going faster and faster. I was in the front because I knew where I, we were going. And so I see, you know, we're moving, clipping along at a pretty good pace, you know, um, little seven, over seven, like 70 plus miles an hour or whatever. Anyway, so we're going along, and I see my buddy coming up along my left, and he's kind of pushing me along. Well, he gets kind of close, and so I kind of, I kind of start to move over a little bit, and then I'm on the white line at this point of the road, all right? And I remember, you know, I, I went to, to move, you know, kind of come back a little bit. Well, I, I turned the wrong way on my motorcycle, and I actually drifted even further. You know how you have the white line, then you have the little part of the road that's left on the other side of the white line? I was kind of right there. <laughs> and I, it was one of the few times in my life, fortunately there's only been a few, where I literally kind of was thinking in my mind, I think if I crash into the marsh, there's a pretty good chance I'll survive. You know, and, and this is like starting to pass through. I think it'll be soft enough, and if I'm sinking, I think my friends can get me out before, you know, I sink all the way down. And this all like went through my head in a matter of like, you know, a second. And uh, I, and even it was that point where like all the adrenaline rushed in, and then when it left, I almost like collapsed. Like it was really like this weird thing. Fortunately, I was able, I'm standing here in front of you today, I was able to come back, <laughs> but it just, you know, it, it was such a hard concept, and, and after, you know, riding for a while, you just becomes, it becomes second nature, but that concept of turning one direction to turn another, to go another, right? And as we approach today, and, and the whole title of this series is, is, is Upside Down, the Upside Down Kingdom of God, it's because it's, it's totally backwards to what we know here on earth, isn't it? You know, we, we see in Scripture, we talk about, you know, the weak will be made. Oh, you guys are good. You're with me today. How about this one? The, the first shall be, and the last shall be, right? So we see throughout this that, that God's kingdom is different than earth's, isn't it? And so as we look at these Beatitudes, and we're going to see, and you've already heard it once in the video here, but we're going to see, and as we go through this series, you know, we're going to read things like, uh, talks about being poor and about mourning and about meekness or, or, or being merciful or peacemakers. And as a result, we, we gain heaven or comfort or we inherit the earth or we inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so we see these kind of comparisons and con most of them are contrasting almost. And, you know, from that we see this difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. You see, the Beatitudes are really markers of those who call themselves Christians. And it goes against everything that you will discover or you will experience in this world. Because we're called to be different, aren't we? Not to just for different sake, but because that's the way God's kingdom is designed. Some people even call these things not just the Beatitudes, but the Be-attitudes. Because this is how we are to be, Right? So some scholars, when you read through this in Matthew chapter 5, and we're about to get into uh, chapter 5 here now, but some scholars will say that there's eight Beatitudes. Some say that there's nine, depending on how you approach it. For this series, we're going to go the nine route, so, so that'll become clear as we go. But let's look at Matthew chapter 5 now. And if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew 5, and we'll begin in verse 1. I'll be reading from the ESV this morning. And so it begins, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And this is Jesus uh, that they're speaking of. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for every person here in this room. I thank you for those who are watching online this morning. God, I pray just that, again, uh, your word would go forward. Uh, God, to speak life. And God, to challenge us, Father God, in areas where we may need uh, change. And God, we trust, again, that by the power of your spirit, that will be the case. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, this, this term, Beatitudes... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a term that not just applied to this, this particular spot. They're actually found throughout Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, for example, in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed. Do you guys say blessed or blessed, by the way? Blessed? Is that like the King James? <laughs> I feel like, you know, I like blessed. I like the two syllables versus blessed. So, anyway, we'll take a poll sometime throughout the series and figure it out. Um, that was in my notes, by the way, to ask that question. Uh, so Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So again, we see, that, again, this blessed is the man. We see this. This, is, this would be called a beatitude. We see another one in Proverbs 3.13, for example. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. So anytime you see this, this, this term or this phrase, blessed, it's, it's, it's a beatitude, okay? And we're going to unpack all of these, these things here shortly. Um, let's begin with this, this word beatitude. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines it as a state of utmost bliss, right? I challenged the first service. I'm going to challenge you as well. You've got to roll this out in a conversation at some point. So how are you, guys, how are you doing today, you know? I'm in a state of utmost bliss. How are you? Please, just one person do that for me and let me know how it goes, because I, I, I wonder how they will respond to that, because th- I'm pretty sure they'll just stare at you probably for about four minutes, you know, like, I don't know what to say. But I'm in a state of utmost bliss. Um, or as, as we would say, uh, another way that we would say this is, is in a state of blessedness. Okay, in a state of blessedness. And so this is where this, this term blessed comes from or how it's translated to our, our scripture when we read our translations, right? This is why it's blessed is because it's bliss, blessedness, so blessed. Uh, blessed, it's, it's from the Greek word makarios, and it means happy or fortunate or blessed, all right? So that's, that's kind of giving some, some uh, imagery here or some understanding to where we're going with all this. Now, the interesting thing, and I, I didn't know this before I, I was studying for this, this series, but it, it's really interesting because the Greeks understood this, this term, makarios, um, it, it is as the happy state of the gods, little g, like their gods and their, their culture, their time, um, in the happy state of the gods above earthly sufferings and labors, okay? So think about that for a moment because what, what's being said here, or the idea behind this, this word in the Greek understanding, the way to say that would be that, that they, you, you were not able to achieve this or understand that you could reach this place without being on the other side of death. It was something that you had to be above what was happening on earth to be blessed, to be blessed. You understand? They saw it as it's impossible because why? Because we go through difficult times here on earth, don't we? We go through hard seasons here. Bad things happen to people. And so how could you live in a state or be in that place of blessedness while here on earth? You see, again, they understood it as it was a a happy state is what they would say. And I've talked about this before. You know, there's a difference between happy and joyful, right? This is why we can have joy in all circumstances because it's not dictated by our circumstances. Where happiness, I'm pretty sure that I'm safe in saying this, is, is a response to something, right? 
somebody hands the keys to you to a new car and gives it to you. Most people happy, right? Yep, okay. Just, <laughs> yeah, I don't believe you, but okay. But it's, yeah, you know, if somebody did that, you'd be like, whoa, yeah, this is great. You know, maybe you're all thinking like, well, the taxes and gas prices and I'd rather have a motorcycle. Anyway, um, but no, it's, it's, it's happiness is dictated to us by our circumstances, right? And so, again, this is where this term happy, it falls short uh, because in our understanding, it, that's the only way that we're happy is because of our, a circumstance that's happening around us, whereas joy is, is something different. I don't want to chase that down too much, but it's, we can have joy in those circumstances. We talked about that before. So, again, it goes beyond uh, possibility of a state of being on earth. This, this idea uh, that the Greeks approached this word blessed with is it, it was impossible here on earth. And in their, their pagan sense, this, this Greek pagan sense, it even had the idea that um, even, even through suicide, they would get to the place where they were blessed. This is why there was, it was prevalent during that time that that would happen because they thought that was the only reprieve to be able to obtain this state of blessedness. Whereas here now, Jesus is stating that it is possible to be blessed now even amidst the circumstances. So you're starting to see kind of the significance. This is very different. It's not like Jesus just came in and was echoing something that was already there. Instead, he took this understanding in their pagan God world, but he brought it, go figure, right? Heaven to earth, right? Here's Jesus, Son of God, standing before the people, God incarnate. And now there is a way to be blessed here on earth that we can be blessed even amidst the most difficult circumstances. And so again, Jesus with his list of Beatitudes is pointing to the contrary of what they had known to this point. This bliss or joyfulness could be experienced here and now even amidst all of the challenges. And so this is kind of the context, this is the idea as we approach the Beatitudes and before we jump in here into the first beatitude where we'll spend the rest of our time, but this is the context and understanding that we want to approach now the beatitudes. And you're going to see very quickly, and that's why it's kind of mind-boggling, but Jesus is, you know, typically it starts with something kind of challenging, right? For example, today we're going to be talking about being poor in spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but Whenever I hear the word poor, it doesn't really, unless you're pouring like a glass of lemonade on a hot day, <laughs> we're not talking about that kind of poor. We're talking about poor, P-O-O-R, that typically doesn't have like a, happy, a great sense to it, does it? Does it bring warm and fuzzies to your world? It, it, whatever we think about poor, it really is a negative kind of thing to think of, right? And this is exactly what Jesus is going for. This is what he wants to present and he's, it is something much more than, than maybe what was initially thought, but there's a depth to it that we're going to experience today. You see, just prior to this, in Matthew chapter 4, I want to read from the New Living Translation. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, it says this, it says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, and listen to what he says, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? Repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, again, understand that the kingdom of heaven is near. Why? Because Jesus is present, right? And so now we go into Matthew 5, 3, this first beatitude, and it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right? So he's, he's showing a way. He's showing, and, and again, let's not, well, yeah, let's, let's get that picky, right? We're not just, now we're at the front of the Sermon on the Mount, but what's the first beatitude he chooses to share? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is, not will be, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many want to look closer at poor in spirit? Let's do that, yeah? Okay, let's do it. Poor in spirit. Let's talk about that because I think, again, we, we, we miss it if we just kind of touch and go on it. So the poor in spirit, um, there's a misunderstanding. Um, there was a misunderstanding then, probably more so then maybe than now, 
though it still lingers a little bit. But there was a misunderstanding that wealth would equate to God's blessing, okay? Um, they, they always used kind of circumstances to sort of dictate if you were blessed by God or not blessed by God, right? Now, again, wealth does not always point to God's blessing, does it, here on earth? Anybody ever hear of Saddam Hussein? Hitler? You know, these guys were pretty wealthy people, right? Can, I, can we all agree probably they weren't blessed by God in that sense, right? It doesn't always dictate. There are people that are wealthy where God is, you know, you can take Pharaoh from the Old Testament. You want to talk about wealth? I mean, there are people, you, you, that's just not an automatic gauge, right? And I say that, you know, in that time, it was, it was always sort of connected, the two, they could be. And, and nowadays, it does linger a bit, right? Because some people will say, well, you know, well, I'm blessed by God, and they have all this wealth, and then, you know, they live their life in such a way that you would never know that they were a Christian by what they say, by what they do, by how they act. And so, again, just because they have resources and wealth and money doesn't automatically make them a believer, doesn't automatically make, make them blessed by God. And so a question then to ask ourselves, is it okay to be wealthy? I'm glad all of you asked, because we're going to find out. Um, is it okay to be wealthy? Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 and 24 says this. It says, and Jesus said to the disciples, truly I say to you, and again, there's truly, there's either truly, truly sometimes, but even if there's a truly, we need to pause, something important. I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, does it say it's impossible? No, it says with difficulty, right? And, you know, one of the things to understand is we as Americans, wherever you are on the economic scale here in America, we are ahead of the majority of the world financially, even at the, you know, you'd say the lowest level of income. You know, most of us have running water. <laughs> most of us have electricity. You know, we, we have these things, and we don't even realize it, right? That's another sermon, but, I mean, we, we as Americans can get so sucked into keeping up with the Joneses, as we say, that we miss how blessed we are, right, in that sense. But he's saying here that, again, it's not that wealth in and of itself is bad or wrong, but that it, it's, it can be very difficult for a person that leans so heavy um, on their, their own abilities or what they have. And really, this comes across, it's a warning that earthly riches can easily lure us away from God if we're not careful. Now, this doesn't really preach in a lot of churches, or many churches, I should say. You know, again, we talk about the prosperity gospel, things like that, because, you know, we all want more, you know, and too blessed to be stressed. And I've been in churches, you know, where that was, that was sort of the message, you know. It's, if, you, you know if, you're, if you're serving God and you're walking it out right, then you're just going to have all the, all the stuff. You're going to have the mansion. You're going to have the 22 cars in the driveway. And, cause that's because God, you know, God can do that if he wants, but that's not the goal, is it? Our goal is to be faithful to God. And, and, and sometimes the things that we want, as any good parent would say, I hope, you know, everything my child wants, like 22 you know, chocolate chip cookies before dinner, I'm not going to probably let that happen, right? Maybe two or three. I'm not horrible as a parent, but, you know, I'm not going to give them 22. Why? Because I know it's going to ruin where the, the, the stuff that they need, right, the nutrients that they need. It's not going to be good for them, though in their mind they think it's wonderful. So, again, it's, it's, God loves us, and so not, he's not always looking to just, you know, hey, here's all this stuff. Why? Because he wants our hearts to be turned towards him. And so what Jesus is ultimately getting at, and let me just kind of boil it down now a little bit, what Jesus is getting at here is there's a sin of self-reliance. Okay? The sin of self-reliance. That, that is sinful. And, man, this is going a lot different than the first service. Some must need to hear this today. Um, I hope you guys are encouraged by sermons most of the time. I feel like I'm hard on you sometimes. But that's okay, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> But we as Americans, 
if we're not careful, there's, there's a good, there is, there's nothing wrong with being proud of your, your country. And I'm, I'm proud of America. I'm proud to be an American. I'm thankful. Trust me, we, after being all around the world, different places, we have an amazing country and freedoms that so many people don't have. But if we're not careful, that, that pride that's instilled in us, I remember, too, I, I was embarrassed when I went overseas, and, you know, somebody says they're from, like, this country or that country. I had no clue where that was. Why? Because I didn't care, because it wasn't my world. I grew up in America, and this is the greatest place to be on earth, so why would I care about anywhere else in the world? And I remember even reading when I would approach Scripture how I would do so from an American point of view, right? It's like when I talk to some people in the church, and, and people say, you know, well, you know, we're not even in the tribulation yet, and this and that, and, you know, maybe, I don't think we are necessarily, but you go to somebody in Iran or in China, that's in the church, ask them how they're doing and where they think we're at on the whole scale and time and everything else, right? So we can always, we can kind of, this, this pride that can, can creep in, and if we're not careful, it can move from a good pride, just like, you know, you're proud of an accomplishment or something, to, to this arrogance, and, and we're not um, understanding that we are always to be relying on, on God. The fact that you woke up this morning is a gift from God. The fact that you have breath in your lungs today is a gift from God. The fact that you can do nothing to guarantee the next moment <laughs> that it is only that you will be here at the end of this sermon, God willing, it's a gift from God. And it sounds simple, church, and I'm not trying to kind of get, you know, boil it down too much, but we always need to be pausing. We always need to take a moment, you know, to acknowledge God's presence, to acknowledge God's gift that he's given to us of our life, of our abilities, and what we have. And that it is all because of him, that it's all due to him. The sin of self-reliance is really what God is trying to make people aware of when it comes to wealth and, 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 and things. We can't fall into that trap. Things in and of themselves are not wrong. Money's not wrong. It's just, it's a tool. It's a thing we use. So we are all supposed to possess what, what I would call a poverty of the soul, meaning uh, to be found lacking or destitute in our ability to save ourselves. Right? We have to remember that. That we cannot save ourselves. You know, we can... God, you know, can use us. We, 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 he gives us resources to get us through this life and to, to, to navigate this life. But we always have to have this, this poverty of the soul, meaning without God, we are nothing. Without God, we are nothing. And we can be nothing sitting in a mansion, sitting, you know, with all the resources in the world. But without God, what do we have? Why? Because when we exit this earth, when we breathe our last how much of that stuff can we take with us? Nothing. Nothing. And so we see the kingdom of heaven consistently offered to the poor throughout Scripture, don't we? The despised tax collectors, the prostitutes. Jesus is always ministering to those people, and, he's, and you see these responses. Why? Because those people, people that are in those horrible places physically or, or on this earth, that are in those places of, of just horrible, like, stuff, right? They have nothing to bring, and they know that 100%. And so we see, like, the woman, for example, that, that poured the oil out, right, on Jesus' feet, remember, and washed his feet literally with her hair. And the disciples are like, they're kind of like, what in the world, you know, she's, what is she doing? You know how much money we could have gotten for that perfume and that oil, you know, what? What is she doing? But she recognized who Jesus was, and she recognized that even that was nothing. And so she throws himself at his feet, recognizing she had nothing to offer. And it always seems like people that come from the, the worst places, right, they oftentimes, you know, are able to be used in ways, you know, that, that some of us struggle with. Why? Because they know where they came from. Some of us, I'll just I'll talk about myself for a minute so it doesn't apply to you necessarily. But if I'm not careful, you know, because I had some challenges growing up, but, you know, I grew up in a, in a, 
okay thing, home and stuff like that. I didn't grow up on the streets or something like that. And so if we're not careful, it's like we sort of start to grade, right? We kind of like, how much saving did I actually need? I mean, it wasn't like I was out doing drugs and living on the street or whatever. You know, that person really needs a lot versus me. I just needed a little bit. It doesn't work like that, all right? We all need salvation in its entirety, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. See, throughout Scripture, we see the wealthy and esteemed that meet Jesus. And sadly, in many cases, they leave the way they came. The rich young ruler, right? He just couldn't, he couldn't do it, right? He couldn't do it. He's following me. He's like, well, let me go sell all my stuff. <laughs> no, follow me now. And that's what Jesus is called because he is the one who saves. And so we must all come to this place where there's poverty in our souls, that we recognize that we are spiritually dead and we need a Savior. We need Jesus. You see, there are three markers of, of people who are poor in spirit. The first one is there's a brokenness. And now, I need to explain that just a little bit, because here's the deal, that when, when we're saved, when we come to Christ, you know, he can take away pain, and he, all, the blood of Jesus covers our sin and, and takes away those things, but there's, there's a healthy brokenness in the sense of knowing that, like we've talked about, that we are nothing without Jesus Christ. Nothing. And we need to understand, again, I think through my life, and I've, I've met people, a lot of them are younger, you know, we were, maybe a lot of us were like that. Uh, it's so weird saying that, you know, back then when I was younger, but, um, you know, when we first in our, you know, 20s, maybe in our late teens, you know, we think we just got it all together, right? But then life comes crashing in at some point, doesn't it? And there comes a brokenness. And we don't have to stay in that place, and healing can come, but I think from that, we, we, we come out changed for the better. We remember, like, this is where I was, and this is what God did. And it is only because of him that I'm standing here today. And I say that today as my personal testimony. There are a lot of things that did happen to me in my lifetime, in my childhood, and the only reason that I stand here today is because of God's grace. Even at times when I literally almost tried to sabotage God's plan. There was a point, there was a point when I was, I was done with, I was never, I was not gonna be in ministry. I made that decision. I was like, I'm, I'm not doing this. There's no way. It's like, I'll go, I'll go to church. I'll be a Christian. I'll check the, you know, check the box. I'll even volunteer a little bit. I'll go to a few surf Saturdays. <laughs> but I'd come to that place and, and yet, God had a plan. And it shows the tenacity of God's love for us and God's faithfulness for us. And that's why, you know, there's times when, like, I'm, I'm broken, not in a, a negative way or in a bad way, but it's just like, God, it's only because of you. Thank you for using a, a broken, imperfect vessel to accomplish your will and your plan and your glory. And use me, if you can, Right? There should be a brokenness for those who are poor in spirit. Secondly, there should be a humility. There should be a humility. And I joke often, I always do the survey, you know, how many are proud of their humility? Raise your hand. <laughs> I think we've all met those people, and we're just like, wow, yeah, that's great. You know, somebody, if they come up to you and they say, hey, yeah, I'm a real humble person, can I just tell you it's a red flag, right? <laughs> Oh, it's funny. Because it's actually happened, you know. It's like, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a humble person. I don't know what the deal is. Like, well, <laughs> here's my card. Give me a call. Um, but we should, we should walk in humility, shouldn't we? Because when we're not walking in humility, we're beginning to move into that place of pride where we, we know or we think that we can, can do this without God. We, when we understand that we need him like every moment, and when we start to walk contrary to that, and we say, well, God, you said this one out. I got it. 
What is that? Now, careful, because in, in our circles, in our world that we live in, you know, you, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Be strong, you know, and again, don't be a lazy bum. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You know, we, we, do our, we do have to do some of those things, but we have to do it all within the context of understanding that it's God who gives us everything, that the strength, the ability to do what we do, and we need to do so from a place of humility. Humility. And I, I feel like some of us, too, we live life at such a pace that we don't often stop to p- take a pause to look in the mirror at ourselves. We can always find what's wrong with the person across from us, right? The people around us. But how often do we stop and just take a hard look at ourselves in those moments of silence when we just sit with God? Say, God, show me. Why? Because that brings humility. And I would encourage all of us to do that often, to remember where we came from. So those who are poor in spirit are broken, they're humble, and lastly, they're 100% completely reliant on God. 100%. And it's not so much like when we're facing the challenges that, that we know are going to be hard. It's when we face the things that we, we think that, I got this. I know this. You know, it's it's just so easy to just to, to fall back and to rely on our abilities and our gifts. And it's hard, too, right? Because we feel like God has gifted us to do certain things. And so we have some strengths. But again, we must always pause. And I would challenge you, each one of you today, whatever it is that you do, the other, you know, rest of the time when you're not here, to, t- to pause often when you're ready to do something or about to do something, even if it's something that you're 100% confident that you got it, to pause and to say, Lord, today, I don't want to do this in my own strength. I want to rely on you. Use me. And watch, watch what happens. Watch how that, again, that changes how those, those moments go. Me and Luke were, were talking after the first service, and we always joke around, like, whenever it feels like things kind of go bumpy in the service, like rough a lot of times, whether it's, you know, the music or the sermon or whatever. You know, it's those, those times when we talk to somebody afterward and like, they're like, that was the most amazing thing ever. And you're like, well, it wasn't me. <laughs> so, again, understanding that we are reliant on God in everything. Brokenness, humility, and reliance on God. And so, again, understanding what this, this poor in spirit and it says, for theirs is, not will be, it is, right, the kingdom of heaven. It is the kingdom of heaven, meaning now, again, contrary to what we talked about earlier with this understanding of the Greeks, it's not going to be something on the other side of eternity, per se. There will be a fullness of it, but we can experience this now, the kingdom of heaven now. And so what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, the kingdom of heaven, very simply, is salvation, Right? When we are saved, we now become a part, a member of the kingdom of heaven. We are, in, in, uh, we are put into that place. In John 10.10, 10, in, in the ESV, it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come, Jesus speaking, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The New Living Translation translates that last part. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You see, again, salvation is now. (laughs) Salvation is now. For those who who have said, you know, yes to Jesus and have, have, have entered into his salvation, that is now. And we have the ability and the privilege to have a life here on earth that is rich and satisfying, that, is, that we can live and, and have it abundantly here on earth. And again, if you know and you're tracking through this sermon here and understanding, again, that doesn't guarantee that there won't be challenges or struggles or trials but that we can live in a state that that we are satisfied with life. I love that, rich and satisfying, right? I think so many of us settle, (laughs) you know, for 
like a, a, a package of Oreos when you could have a fresh, big, huge, baked, whatever, chocolate chip cookie from the best baker you can imagine. You know, if you diet at all, <laughs> diet, right? If you're, you always have, you're always thinking, like, is this worth it, right? When you see a dessert. Like, I'm not going to go to a McDonald's and get like a, you know, whatever, whatever they have now, a little donut thing. No, I'm going to go to some amazing bakery that's got, you know, something, you know, like 17,000 calories, and it, it just, like, is amazing, right? Because you're going to make it count. <laughs> and that's what I, I think a lot of us are living if we're not careful, and we've, we've sold ourselves short, and we've sold ourselves into this lie that life has to be miserable, that life is not fulfilling or satisfying. And so we go through life, and we just kind of go through the motions, and it's just kind of ho-hum, but we're missing out on the depth and the beauty that, that God has created and that what it is to be in relationship and to walk out our life with him. So we need to be reminded that the kingdom of heaven is now, that, that we can experience this now. And when we enter into eternity, finally we will experience the fullness of it all, meaning there will no longer be sorrow there will be no pain, no destruction, no death. And then we, are, we truly experience it, but we, we still have that now. We can still experience salvation now. So again, it's the poor in spirit of the ones who truly experience this kingdom of heaven. I believe that one of the greatest challenges for people coming to Christ is recognizing that we have nothing to offer or give to be found accepted. Nothing we can do. I share this in the past. You know, if you recall, I'll share it again because it's worth sharing again. It's the dog theology and cat theology. Do you remember that? You know, where's my cat people? Go ahead, raise them high. Don't be ashamed. Okay, really? No, that's it? All right. Okay, well, we got a few. So, you know, cats are... They're interesting creatures. We have a couple in our house. We have a couple dogs, which makes for entertainment, for, to say the least. But um, one of our cats, Bo, he's the most cat-like. Uh, the other one's more like a dog. But um, Bo tends to come out, and, you know, you'll come home, and he'll come up, and he may, like, kind of, you know, rub around your ankles and stuff. And, and then if you're sitting on the couch, he'll come up and sit, like, on the, the armrest. And, like, a lot of times if you go to pet him, he'll just move and leave, like... I didn't say you could do that. You can't approach me like that. You know, I just wanted to be sit here and admired and stared at. And if I choose to love you, then whatever, you know. And then when you do love him, he's just like, yeah, that's right. right go ahead and bring it. I deserve the love because I'm a cat, right? Dogs are very different, right? Dogs, you come home and, you know, we've got two of those as well. And, you know, we have a puppy that's pretty crazy. And you come home and... You know, it's like doing, doing, doing. They're bouncing. You know, they want. They're just. They're so happy that they're, you are here. That they're now in your presence, right? They can't get enough, and they just want to be loved by you. You know, and just you know, you pet them, and it's never enough. And they just, they're, they're just they just want this attention. And so that those are the two approaches to God that we can have. If you guys have never heard this before, you're probably like, Pastor Dell, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> If we're not careful, all right, we can approach God with this cat theology, meaning God loves me because I am so amazing and so wonderful. God loves me because I deserve to be loved because I'm not that bad or I'm not, here we go, not as bad as the person next to me, if we're comparing. I'm better than them, so yeah, it's fine. You can, God love me because I deserve it. On the other side of it, with dog theology, that's where really we're supposed to be. That means we recognize God for who he is and that we are only saved <laughs> because he has chosen us and chosen to love us and because he's so amazing, because he's so wonderful. That's why we, we love him. That's why we want to be with him. And that's how we approach God is with full view of who he is. Dog theology and cat theology. That's how it works. 
it's funny, you know, you think about, I, I think about like, um, the, and I'm gonna, I don't know, maybe crush some dreams today, but, uh, you know, when you go to Disney, right? You go to Disney and all the, the princesses and the, the magic and everything else, you know, and I'm pretty sure I was at Disney one time, I heard this line, you know, you know welcome to Disney, where dreams really do Now, we, we raise our kids and we, we grow up in a culture where, again, we, we almost like, we can achieve or we can do whatever we put our mind to, right? Whatever we want to do, if, if we work hard enough and we try hard enough and we give it all that we got and don't let it knock us down, then we're going to get to reach our dreams, right? How many would like to fly? Anybody ever try jumping out of a plane without a parachute? Okay. I've not done it. I don't know if, I know one guy did, but he landed like in a net, like on purpose. I don't know if you saw that. It was the, he chose to, anyway, side story. But yeah, he set a record. Crazy. He jumped without a parachute to land on a net on the earth. Like, it was nuts. Um, but most of us, if we jump out of a, uh, an airplane and, ah, I believe I can fly. Right? I believe I can. That's, no, never mind. Um, R. Kelly, anybody? Okay. I'm getting all off today. But anyway, you jump out of an airplane without a parachute, what's going to happen? It's not going to go well, let's just say, right? It doesn't matter how much you dream it. It doesn't matter how much you think you can do it. It's not going to happen. And we have to remember, again, with God and, and, and with the way we're, we're, we're approaching this today, that, yeah, it's good to, to, to dream. It's good for those things and everything. But at the end of the day, we need Jesus, <laughs> When we're lost, when we're separated from God, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we can come up with, or no matter how hard we want to will it, or think that we're good enough, we're not good enough. Even after we come to Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, we, we aren't perfect people. We make mistakes, but then, you know, the cross is always there, and we're grateful for that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So as we wrap up today, and as the musicians make their way up. I just, I want us to, to, as we enter this series and as we begin today in this series of, of going through these Beatitudes, I really believe, again, as we said, you know, the choice that Jesus, where he started was that it was important to be poor in spirit. And I believe that's where we have to start today, church. We have to start today that we are poor, that we are uh, we, we have nothing to offer to God except our sorrow and our sin and, and our mistakes. In Romans 8, 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, we were slaves to sin. That means we were shackled. We could not escape. We could not do it on our own. We could not somehow get away from the sin that we were in. But the beauty of this is that when we came, when Christ came into our life, and when we entered into salvation, we moved from slavery into adoption, into his family. We are in the family of God, church. We are the family of God. And that's amazing. And always remember that place and how it finishes there, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Again, Abba is, is that daddy, that, that simplicity of a child coming to their father. And that is the relationship we have with God today. That is the place we must always come back to. That's the place we always need to remember that, God, this is the relationship that, that I'm in with you. That when I could not save myself, your love and your grace and your mercy came crashing in and saved me. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for this time. And, and God, I, I, I thank you, Lord, for this message as we begin this series, Lord, on the Beatitudes. And Lord, while, again, that poor in spirit, uh, I think it, it, it's just a challenge, I think, for many of us to wrap our heads around. But God, we know that 
we need to understand that, that we truly, we have nothing without you. We are nothing without you. No matter what we possess here on earth, if we do not have you, then we're lost. God, we pray, Father God, that you would just speak to the hearts of your people today, to the people here in this room, to those watching online. Lord God, if, if, if there's places in their lives, in our lives, Lord God, where we have stepped into pride and we've stepped into this thought that we can do it on our own, God, I pray you bring that to our attention, God, and may we, we be quick to repent. And God, that we would once again rest in your arms and rest in the, the knowledge, Lord, that we need you in every moment of every day. God, I, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, that it's challenged us. And again, God, while it's easy to spot those places uh, other people fall short, God, I pray that we would be challenged, Lord, to look in the mirror. God, is, and that comes, Lord, from looking at through your word. In your word, Father God, is, as it reflects, Lord God, where we really are or where we aren't. God, may we be moved, Lord, to a place of repentance and to once again place our full trust in you as Lord and as Savior. God, I thank you for each one listening today that's been a part of this. And again, Lord, that your word has taken hold, Lord, in our hearts today. God, may it change us. In Jesus' name.